Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, friends, we're coming uh, in our next uh, study in these Beatitudes to this uh, one on purity in heart and seeing God. Purity of heart, seeing God. Stunning declaration, isn't it, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it makes us think, is it possible? <laughs> is it really possible that a person can have a pure heart? Surely we all know our hearts and we know that it's anything but pure. Is it really possible for a person to have a pure heart, a clean heart, clean hands, clean heart? Is it possible to see God? <laughs> what a statement. The pure in heart shall see God. Oh, this is tremendous, friends. Can a person really see the Almighty? Well, this is what Christ tells us, and we can be sure that it is true. It must be true because uh, He said it. Well, we'll look at these uh, two th the statements very soon, and uh, these terms, and see what they mean. But firstly, I want you to notice uh, how Christ uh, here and elsewhere and throughout his ministry places an emphasis on heart religion. Blessed are the pure in heart. That's so important. That's so important because a heart religion is what counts. And he's going to be he's stressing this, he's stressed this throughout his ministry. Of course, he's not uh, saying something new. This was the same message that came through in the Old Testament. And any, any Jew who was a careful reader in the Old Testament, well, they would have picked up on this. They would have seen that God is not concerned so much about the externals. It's the heart that really matters. It's the heart that counts uppermost with Him. Rend your heart and not your garment, said the prophet. Don't just be outward in the show. It's your heart. Don't just put on the garments of mourning. My son, give me your heart. The words of Solomon. Isaiah 29 verse 13. The complaint of God to his people. Oh, this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. Oh, friends, this is what God desires. Christ is emphasizing uh, these same uh, thoughts here. Uh, not uh, that heart religion is what uh, matters, and he's, it's necessary for him to home in on this, especially considering the environment he is in, and the culture he is in, and the people that he is speaking to. Uh, you know, the Pharisees they were the religious elite of the day, and uh, they were the ones uh, who uh, who taught the people and led their people, even by their example. But they were all about externals. Their religion consisted only in an external show of religion. You remember the scathing words that the Lord had for the Pharisees, this religious group of people, because their religion was just a show. It was just on the outward. Their religion was they would stand on the, on the corner of the streets and they would pray long prayers, not because they were holy, 
not because they were genuinely spiritual and prayerful men, but because they wanted other people to notice and to say, oh, look at him, he's so holy. And they, people said that, and that was their reward, the, the applause of people. And they lived for the applause of people, instead of living, as they ought to have done, for the praise of the Almighty. For God's eye, they were doing those religious things for the praise of men, to be seen of men. So the Lord had these harsh words uh, to speak to them. Uh, he said on, on, in Matthew chapter 23 uh, that they, they wash the outside of the cup and the platter, but within their heart was full of extortion and, and excess. They were so concerned about the ceremonial cleansing, as it were, of the, of the cup and the platter, that those things that they were used uh, in the worship. But their heart with which they uh, was full of these sins of extortion and of excess. On another occasion, he said, you are like whited sepulchres, which appear beautiful on the outside. You are like these gravestones that are all lovely to, on appearance on the outside and beautiful to look at and clean on the outside. But within, as you know, what you find uh, behind every, uh, underneath every grave, you'll find a, a, a skeleton, you're full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. That was within. And that was a description of their hearts, the Pharisees' hearts. Outside they seemed so perfect and so, so clean, but in, in the heart the Lord could see all these awful sins that they were uh, committing. So seven times uh, in that Matthew 23, the Lord Jesus labels them as hypocrites, Actors, very strong words, but this is uh, what they were. And so, friends, Christ here and throughout uh, his, his ministry, he is going to press home again and again uh, this message to the people is the heart that counts. Uh, their worship, their service for the Lord must spring out of a love for the Lord. It must come out of a sincere heart. And that same message is true for us uh, today. Now, we also need this message. It's not only for them at that particular time, but even today we need uh, to, to hear it repeated again and again because that, sadly there are many friends, there are many people who think along the same lines. They think that uh, Christianity uh, is only in the externals and that religion only extends as far as the externals. Oh, I must go to church once in a while, I must try and do good uh, to so-and-so uh, every now and again. I must maybe occasionally say a little prayer. Maybe I, I, I say the Our Father and I repeat that once in a while. That will pacify my conscience. Or I'll try and be a good neighbor and try and do a good turn every now and again. Or I must avoid all those grossly immoral sins. And that's the sum and sum total of their religion just the, the external, just the shell, and they don't have the kernel, they don't have the heart of, a, of real faith and trust in the God, in the Lord. And some, some friends have been in this position for years and years in life, and they've been attending a church, and they never heard, and never, or, or never uh, realized and come to know Christianity is more than that. Christianity requires more than that, more than just a basic adherence to the faith with the mind and a little bit of good works attached. 
So many, isn't it, think along these lines even today. When you ask them, what is Christianity? Or, you know, social, some social aspect comes out. Oh, loving your neighbor and that sort of thing. But, oh, friends, it's much more than that, as we know. God looks not so much at what we do, but at the heart. And how is our, is our heart in the things that we are doing for Him? <laughs> Don't think of the Lord, uh, and I say this uh, reverently, don't think of, of God as somebody who is up in heaven uh, totting up how many times you, know, you attend church or how many times you did the washing up when it wasn't your turn to do the washing up. You know, how much money, he's not keeping an account of how much money you put into the offering each week. God is not, not doing those sorts of things. He's looking at how we do, how we approach him. Why do we do what we do? Why do you come to church? Why do you read the Bible? Why, why do you do those things? Is it because you love Him? Is it because you love Him sincerely? And you want to worship Him? You want to please Him? And you, you realize all that He has done for you? Your trust is in Him? And the, the heart of the matter is, I love the Lord. I want to do what is right in His, in his sight. In, whether it's in the daily life or in the church. This is how I'm going to carry out my life. That's what he's looking for. Not for perfection, but for sincerity in how we worship him. The pure in heart shall see a God. Well, the heart, friends, uh, when we think uh, of the heart, biblically speaking, that's the center of our personality. The heart, biblically, is our mind, our will, our affections, our will. Now, these three things encompass our, our heart. And so a true believer is one who, who's come to know the Lord in his mind. He, he has understood the way of salvation. He's grasped it by the help of the Holy Spirit. And then his, his heart, his affections follow. He now loves the Lord. He gives his life over to the Lord. That's his will, yielding over to uh, his life to the Savior. The whole man is involved. With his mind, he understands. With his affections, he loves. With his will, he yields to Christ. Lord, you are my Lord and Savior. I will follow you wherever you lead me. I'm ready to do whatever you tell me to do, to follow you wherever you lead me. That's a, that's a, a heart religion. And so, friends, uh, Christ uh, emphasizes uh, the heart. And uh, we have to say uh, that Christ emphasizes uh, it and uh, homes in on this because the heart really is a source of all our troubles. From time immemorial, actually, before we come to that, uh, people have been asking and debating the question, uh, do we come into this world as innocent babes or do we come into this world as uh, sinners? Do we come into the world with a clean slate or do we come into the world with a heart that is contaminated uh, with sin? Uh, what, what is it? Well, the Bible says, uh, as David said, in sin did my mother uh, conceive me. The biblical answer to that question, friends, is very clear. We are born in sin. We don't come in with a clean slate. We come with, with the seeds 
of all different kinds of sin, all the sins uh, in our hearts. It's an awful picture, isn't it? It's a terrible picture. It's like, you know, when you dig up the mud and suddenly you find all the different creepy crawlies in there, all the worms and the little insects. And it's horrible, you're dreadful if you're averse to that kind of thing. You'll you'll probably run away from it. But our hearts are like that. When you dig it up, what's there? It's all the worms and all the creepy crawlies, the terrible things that are found. The seeds of all kinds of sin are found in your heart and in my heart. When we're born, oh, but that babe looks so innocent. That baby, yeah, he looks so innocent. But look at him further down the line. Look at him, he's aggressive. Look at him, he's showing tantrums when he's only two years old. Look at him, he's rebelling now as a teenager. Where did these things come? Look at him, he's turned into a criminal. Look at him, he's, he's, uh, he's being so unkind, he's being so unfair, he's being so unjust. It's from the heart. All of it, friends proceeds from the heart. That's what the Bible says. We are born in sin. Oh yes, to a, uh, to a point, to a certain degree, we are products of our environment, of our, our upbringing, the way which country we grew up in. Yes, of course that's going to affect us. But really, the root of the matter is we are products of our sinful heart primarily. Listen to what Christ's assessment is of the human heart. You know this, Mark 15, verse 19. The Lord said, Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, uh, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. All these things come from the heart. So friends, what is the cause of all the world's problems? It's not economics. It's not sort out our economy and everything that will be well. Make sure everyone is wealthy and healthy and then everything will be fine. It's not like that. It's not a lack of opportunity. It's not a poor environment that is the cause of all the world's problems. It's the heart of man. When you look at that, uh, uh, that lady, she's left her home. She's left her family home. She's gone and left her husband and her kids. She's broken up that family home because why has she done that? She's gone to live with another man. Why has she done that? Because of lust in her heart. Secret lust was there festering in her heart. There's that man, uh, two friends. They've been friends for life. But now they've separated. What brought about the separation? Anger in the heart of one has brought about the, the division. Covetousness in the heart of man makes a man falsify his tax returns. Oh, uh, why do we see uh, people setting up companies and uh, uh, employing people to send out scam emails all around the world? Why do we see them uh, deluding people into uh, uh, giving, bribing people or into giving their money? Why? Cheating people, deceiving people. Why do they do this again and again, repeatedly, the whole time they're doing it? It's because they're greedy for money. It's the love of money, covetousness, is in the heart of that company owner. And so he does these evil things. Pride in the heart causes a man to oppress others. Trace back every murder, friends, to its source, and you find that there is hatred at the beginning of of it, the initial point. So friends, it's terrible, isn't it? I'm sorry to have to talk about such things, 
But this is how our hearts are and how we need uh, to know it. That's why we need a new heart. That's why Christ says, don't just try and clean it up yourself. No, you need a heart transplant, friends, Christ says. You need to be born again. You need a pure heart. And it's only conversion that can give you a new heart. It's only Christ who can give us a new heart. Ezekiel 36 and verse 25, the Lord said, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And then David prayed, Create it, <coughs> excuse me, create in me a clean heart. This is what we need, friends. If we haven't got it as yet, if we haven't been converted as yet, we need uh, the Lord to give us a clean heart. We cannot do it. It's not something you can do for yourself any more than you can give yourself a heart transplant. That can't be done. Impossible. It's just as impossible for you to give yourself a clean heart. You need a new heart. You need a new spirit. And only the Lord uh, can give this to you. But it's absolutely necessary, friends, if you would see God. If you want to see the Lord, this is a, a, a must-have. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Without holiness, no man can see the Lord. So, friends, we, we say uh, the pure in heart here refers firstly to a converted person, somebody who has been given a new heart in conversion, one who has been forgiven, one who trusts in Christ, one who is now pursuing a holiness in life. But then we can also say the pure in heart is also a sincere heart. A sincere heart. The pure in heart is a single-minded person. He's not double-minded. He's not uh, for Christ and for the world. He is a, he's not a split personality. Somebody who has two or more identities. He has one identity. Everyone is talking about identity crisis these days. Well, the Christian has one identity. He's for Christ. This is how he identifies himself. I'm a Christian. Oh, Mr. Bunyan, John Bunyan put it uh, so aptly and uh, beautifully when he, he, in his Pilgrim's Progress, he said, Mr. Facing both ways. Facing Christ, one hand, facing both ways. Wanting the best of both worlds. You can't, can't be like that. The pure in heart person is single-minded. He's not Mr. Facing both ways. He's facing one way. He's got his eye on one thing. His eye is single to please the Lord, to live for His glory, to honor Him in life, whether that's in His work, in His family life, in His service for the Lord. He's got that one aim in His life. For me to live is Christ. That's, what he's, that's the motto of his heart, his life. And hand on heart, he can say these things. I know, yes, I'm imperfect in so many ways, but sincerely, this is, the, this is the, the bent of my life. I want to live to please the Lord. He has other interests. He has other things in, in, this, in this life that please him, family life. His work um, um, may be something that he appreciates. He enjoys even some of the good things of this world, but he's not dominated by those things. 
They don't have the mastery over him. They, they take a subservient role uh, to the primary goal of his life, to live for Christ. This is, uh, he's a sincere person, you see? This pure and hard person, he's a sincere, he, he's not uh, like the Pharisees, play-acting. He's genuine uh, in his love for the Lord. So when there's a clash between his worldly pursuits and his service for Jesus Christ, well, there's only going to be one winner with him, the Lord. If his hobbies are taking up and consuming too much of his time, well, then he's, and, and, and it's affecting his service for, for Christ, then he's going to curb it, and he's going to rein it in. He's going to check it, and he's, he's constantly doing this because he doesn't want anything else to dominate his, uh, his life. He doesn't want the world to, to gain the upper hand in him. He's concerned for the kingdom, even another person. He's careful that another person doesn't come and take over uh, the, the, that place which belongs to Christ and his affections. A single-minded person, of course, is concerned for the kingdom of God and for the, the advance of the gospel. He wants this. He wants to see Christ, people believing in Christ, he wants to be instrumental in bringing others to Christ, but he, he also longs to, that the church is blessed, and so he gives of his time, he gives of his energy, he gives of his income uh, to the church for the furtherance of the kingdom of the gospel. Everything he has, he sees it as lent to him for this uh, purpose. But then not only on an individual basis, friends, even churches need to be single-minded. You cannot have a church that is facing both ways. And it's sad today. That's what we see around us. So many churches are faced, want the world and they also want Christianity. And they try, there's a merger of the two. It can't be done. It shouldn't be done. It is being done, but it ought not to be done. There must be a distinct separation between the church and the world. And then every, every church of Christ needs to be single-minded uh, as well, pure in heart. But then let's look at that second part uh, of this uh, blessed uh, beatitude, uh, and it's such a tremendous thing here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And again, the Greek emphasizes they and they only uh, shall see God. Those who are pure in heart. If you want to see God, you must have the former. You cannot, uh, you cannot live as you like, do as you like, and still expect to see God in the end. The unbeliever, the unconverted person, will not see God. He will go through life blind. He will go through life not seeing the Lord's hand. I don't believe in God, he says. I can't see him. Show me where is God and then I will believe in Him. That's what they say to us. Well, friends, uh, sin has blindfolded uh, Him. It's He who needs to change. He cannot see God because sin is acting like a blindfold over His eyes. Uh, recently, we had our Sunday school winter party, and one of our Sunday school teachers with the very uh, young kids was playing a, a pin the tail on the donkey. Oh, you know it, I'm sure the game, you, you, a person is blindfolded and uh, 
they, they had given the, the tail of the donkey and had to pin it on the donkey and try and find it the right place to pin it. And of course, it goes all over the place. Well, that's what people are like in the world. They're, they cannot see God because they're blindfolded. And they're unable. It's only when conversion removes the blindfold that then they begin to see the Lord and to see Him in life. So the believer will see God. And this is a promise for this life and also for the life that is to come. The believer, he sees God, of course, in His Word. He beholds the attributes of the Lord in the pages of Scripture. And he feels, oh, that he's begun to really know God in us in a measure. He see, beholds the severity of the Lord. And he, he sometimes trembles when he reads those things. That the day of the Lord will come as a, and burn as a hot oven. Oh, and he thinks about that. But he beholds also, on the other hand, with pleasure. When he thinks of the great goodness of the Lord. And how gracious he is. And how kind he is. Or oh, he sees a God uh, with all his attributes so perfectly blended together. He's holy, he's righteous, he's just, he's very strict and, uh, about his law, but he's also forgiving and he's pardoning and he's exceedingly kind and he's gentle in all his ways. Oh, and he put all these things together and so much more. And he, one is, he's beginning to, to know God. Sometimes when I talk to our Muslim friends. I ask them this question, so well, what, is, what is your God like? You know, and uh, well, they will say, well, he, he's, he's our creator. What else is he like? Well, he, you know, he, well he's merciful, he's, he's pardoning. But their knowledge is so limited. We have so much, friends, in the Bible to tell us and show us uh, uh, the, the Lord and what he is like. The scales has fallen from our eyes and we see God and what He is like in the, in the Scriptures. But then also we see God in answers to prayer. We prayed for that sick relative, that sick friend, and they were restored to health. And we know it was an answer to prayer. We prayed for safety in our driving as we go from place to place. We got arrived at our destination safely. The Lord undertook. The Lord helped me. We needed a job. We needed help. We needed deliverance from some temptation. The Lord intervened. The Lord brought a word uh, to me at such a point and saved me. I know it was the Lord who, who did these things uh, for me. It's not by chance, these things. I really needed something. And the Lord uh, heard my prayer and granted it to me. <laughs> May I tell you a, a little anecdote, personal anecdote. And uh, <laughs> there was one time when I, I really needed a, a coat. It's a long, long time ago, before I was married. And I really needed a coat. And I didn't tell anyone about it. I did a George Muller for once. <laughs> I just prayed to the Lord and let the Lord know uh, this is what I need. And just a couple of days later, there was a, a ring. Uh, the doorbell rang. And when I opened the door, there was a black bag, a black bin bag outside. When I opened inside, there was a brand new coat. <laughs> and uh, somebody had left it there. Not any of my family or anything like that. I, I think I know who did it. But he was just left there. It was like an answer to prayer. And it was uh, uh, somewhat amazing uh, to me. And we know, well, that's the Lord has done because you only told the Lord about this thing. 
And our friends, you have your own uh, answers to prayer as well. We see the Lord uh, guiding us in our decisions and sometimes overruling in our affairs. And we can, we can say, we know, isn't it? We see God in these things. We're going to be a little bit careful. Some people go a little bit too far and they say, well, the Lord led me here, the Lord led me here, there, the Lord did this for me. When, you have to be a little bit careful. Don't always, don't use it too uh, glibly. But we do see uh, Him so often in our everyday lives. We see His hand in the trials that we go through. It's not just men or people or situations. Of course, we saw His hand in our conversion. <laughs> the way He arranged the situation and the prov in providence brought us maybe from another country. He brought us to this country and brought us to hear the gospel. And we were saved as a result of these things. We thought we were coming here perhaps just to study or to work. But he had other plans for us. And he brought us to this land and to that particular place and to that particular person so that you could hear the Lord and the, the gospel. And now you look back and you say, the Lord's done it. It's Him who, who has done these things. We see, his, we see God in Him uh, preserving the church. Oh, what uh, uh, attacks have been made against the church. How the devil has tried his very best to destroy the church down through the ages. And still it's here. And still it will go on. Because God is doing it. We see God's hand delivering the church again and again. It's not just uh, us uh, who's doing it. We see the Lord preserving His Word again, something else that has come under attack down through the centuries. But still we have it here. The Lord has done these things. We see Him working on the world stage. The believer sees all these things. The unbeliever doesn't see it. And he looks at the world and he sees the chaos that is in the world and uh, uh, all the, the, the way the things are happening. And He seems to think, well, it, we just live from day to day. And he's often caught up in such anxiety and such fear because he doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so he must fight his corner. He must fight to save the world because he thinks it's all in man's hands. And he's afraid of what governments are going to do. And he's got no resting place because he cannot see God. But the believer sees behind all these things and he sees the hand of a sovereign God. The hand of a God in who, who holds all the hearts of all the kings uh, in His hand and who directs them wheresoever He will. He sees that God is the one who raises up one government and puts down another. He sees God's hand uh, ordering all things. He knows God has a plan and He is working out that plan. He's executing that plan in time and He's not afraid. He's found a resting place uh, here he sees God in these things. Oh, friends, we could go on. But then we have to say, of course, that's for now. But uh, in the glorified state, of course, the believer will see God. How will he see him? With the naked eye? Oh, I think not. You may disagree. Some, some disagree. Uh, I think that we won't see him uh, with our naked eye. Moses, you remember, saw only the back parts of God. He wanted to see the Lord, but he couldn't see uh, God face to face. And uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 
and verse 16, we read, God dwells in the light which no man, uh, in the dark which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath, hath seen nor can see. So it suggests, friends, to us that perhaps we won't see God the Father face to face. But if we don't see God the Father face to face, how then in, in glory, in heaven, will we see a God? We see Him, of course, in Christ. We will see Him, uh, Christ, uh, face to face. And He shall, of course, uh, see us. And we shall behold Him. What a day that will be when we shall enter into His presence. And when we are in the presence of God, such a sense of the Father's presence will also be granted to us. It's as if we are in, in the Father's presence. Well, we are when we are with Christ. Remember the words of Christ, he that had seen me had seen the Father. And when we see Christ, it will be like we have seen the Father. And what blessedness will be there. We won't miss out. I, I think this is how it will be. There's perhaps a very uh, poor way of illustrating this would be, imagine that you're at home and uh, in, in, the, your, in another room is a loved one, and you can't see them, but maybe you can hear them coughing, or you can hear them, their footsteps. You know they're in the house. And it sort of gives you uh, some sense of comfort to know that that loved one is in the house uh, with you, even though you cannot see them. Well, that's a very poor illustration. But when we're in heaven, we will have such a sense even of the Father's presence with us as we are uh, with Christ and we see Him uh, face uh, to face. Oh, friends, we shall see God if we are believers, if we have this pure heart. It's a, it's a guarantee we shall see God in Christ. Here we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face then faith is no longer needed. Then faith is turned into sight. Oh, believer in Christ, this is your destiny. <laughs> this is where you're heading for. You're heading for heaven. You're heading for glory. You're heading for an eternal bliss. This is where you're going to be. This is your end point in life if you trust in Christ. This is where you're going to alight permanently. This is the final station of your life. You're going to be with the Lord and you're going to see the Lord face to face. What raptures, what joys of delight await you. What bliss awaits those who have uh, trusted in Christ. Oh friends, when you see Christ, it's a, it's a good thing. We're going to be given new bodies. Because this, all these this glorified bodies is what we'll need. These bodies wouldn't be able to contain the sight of seeing Him, the joy, the overwhelming happiness that will be granted to us in that heavenly place. We need new bodies and they will be granted to us. But even then, I'm sure we will be overwhelmed with joy and euphoria at what is prepared for us. Do you realize this? Can you think on this? What is this world? What is the earthly joys? What are earthly pleasures compared to this, friends? Oh, let us not be transfixed by this world. What are Nike trainers? What are designer handbags? What are Lamborghinis and so on that the world goes up? Let them have their toys. 
you have something better. Let that be at the forefront of your mind, friends. This is your final destiny. You shall see God if you are pure in heart. Remember those words of John that we read. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And remember the, the next part. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Looking forward to seeing Christ? You must. But also continue to seek purity of heart, purity of life until that time. Blessed, happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's close by singing our final hymn, which is number 441. Let worldly minds this world pursue. 441. <laughs>